Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. episode 109. Thank you so, so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes. No, they are not. It is simply not true. Uh, Let me tell you, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, we're talking about Carolyn King, an African-American woman who, along with her younger boyfriend, robbed and murdered two different people in two different American cities, 2,300 miles apart from each other in the fall of 1993. Ooh, 1993. That was a good year. Uh, <laughs> not for our victims, though. No. Uh, but before we get into it, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, don't really have much to report. Everything's status quo, which I'm not complaining about. Just, uh, you know, 
Nothing really interesting going on. Uh, how yeah. are you doing? Yeah, I, I would say the same. Um, the consensus among the my friends that I have been talking to over the past week or so is just like bleh, like meh, right? Yeah. Like I just feel meh. And I made it through the inauguration in one piece. Hallelujah. Yeah, praise, yeah. praise Jesus. Never would have made it without you. Uh, that's the gospel song I listen to when I feel like I'm about to hit rock bottom. Anyway, uh, so I didn't need to turn that up this week. Uh, but um, there, uh, the inauguration was great, right? Mm-hmm. Nice. It was nice on the eyes, right? There was yes. all the sauce. In, and drip in terms of what people were wearing. Um, that young poet, I kept replaying her words over and over and over again. Yeah, and that was beautiful. Up. Yes. Uh, her words are everything. Uh, J-Lo, um, let's get loud. <laughs> Lady Lady Gaga, Michelle, mwah, chef's gifts. Um, and my shoulders have dropped several inches and it, it has felt good. Yeah, it's felt really good. Right. Like this absence of terror that I'm right. existing in, that we're all existing in. And maybe that is what feels so unusual. This is the meh, I guess, the absence of terror and tension that yeah. we've woken up to every day since nine went down the escalator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, se puedes ver. <laughs> You know when you're little and you hear ho say you it's it's oh say can you see but right, I was right. like Jose Jose puedes ver <laughs> Anyway, we still got a lot to do but I, I'm very hopeful uh these days. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not complaining for sure. <laughs> yeah, just meh. Yeah. Meh. That's and all right. Meh, I'll, I'll meh take it. All right. I yeah. will take it. <laughs> so uh, now we're going to get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Thank you. Mm. They came in hot and then they just left. <laughs> they, just, oh. they just dropped the bag and took off. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you guys are okay. You don't need us. That's what yeah. they say. Yeah. yeah like, Here's your bag. Yes. Bye. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> um, if my shoulders go any lower, they're going to hit the floor. That's how relaxed I am. <laughs> Um, so what, what's in the bag, Beth? Well, we got an Instagram message from intuitive wizard and they said, you ladies are so awesome. I truly love the show and just can't get enough of it. I just became a monthly donor and just wanted to extend my gratitude to both you for the honest groundbreaking work that you do in the podcast world. Keep shining booze. And thank you, intuitive wizard hip hop ear horns to you. Thank you, intuitive wizard. Yeah, thank you. We see you, boo. Um, (laughs) What else is in there? We also got a Kofi message from Mary or Marie or Mary. Thanks for getting me through grading final papers. Little do my students know of the positive effect your podcast has on their grades. (laughs) Thank you, teach. (laughs) They're lucky I'm chuckling under my breath while I correct their spelling, punctuation, and grammar mistakes that are really a true crime. Oh, no. Don't tell the babies now. Don't come for the babies now. 
<laughs> so shout out to Mary and shout out to all of the teachers out there who have been holding it down during the pandemic. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, we've been yeah. in a Panera bread. Thank God for all of you. <laughs> I heard somebody say, we're in a pendejo. <laughs> Oh, I loved it. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know, because pandemic is getting kind of old. So yeah. any P word, any P word you can think of, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we also got some new patrons. Um, some of y'all came in while we were on the break, and uh, we are so grateful that you came in when you did because we weren't putting out any new stuff. Yeah, uh, as far as bonus so content. Much. Yeah, you, uh, you guys are awesome. <laughs> yes. Well, so uh, shout out to all of our patrons who've been rocking with us and riding with us since day one. And also shout out to um, all of our podcast play cousins who held it down for us while we were on the break. Yeah. Uh, Military Murder, uh, BSP, Believer Skeptic Podcast, and Captain Hunter. Yeah, thank uh, you so thank much. Thank you so much. So you guys get some hair, hip hop air horns. Yeah, and I hope you guys enjoyed those episodes because we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, for sure. Um, but for the new patrons, here are some um, tunes for you. Uh, so Stephanie D, this is for you. They call her Stephanie. We call her Pod Betty. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's a play on uh, Young M.A. and her okay. uh, uh, ooh, <laughs> okay. it really goes. They call her Stephanie. We call her Hephanie. Ooh, but that's not nice. This no. is Stephanie, our pod baddie, our pod friend, our pod love. So thank you. <laughs> Hip hop air horn, Stephanie D. Uh, Alexius, here you go. <clears throat> so long, farewell, Alexius. Good night. I love true crime and murder all the time. <laughs> yes, I know. Because yeah. <laughs> it's super white. <laughs> oh, I got another. I got another white one for you. So okay. this one is for this one's for Tanny M. So <clears throat> Tanny, Tanny, baby. <laughs> Jenny, baby, Danny, can we murder tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. So thank you guys so much for supporting our little show. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're going to take a quick break and we're going to get into the story when we come back. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. 
Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. True crime is one of the biggest genres in podcasting right now. And if you're a fan, chances are that you think you've heard of every single case that's out there. Well, if you're looking for a new podcast to binge, try Suspiria, a true crime podcast. Every week, we cover interesting, outrageous, and unbelievable crimes that happen all over Latin America or involving Latin people, all through the voices of me, Carol, and me, Stephanie. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Overcast, and many other streaming services. So check us out. Ciao. Ciao. We are back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today, we're talking about Carolyn King, a black woman who, along with her boyfriend, Bradley Martin, robbed and murdered two different people in two different cities, 2,300 miles apart and in the fall of 1993. 1993. It's stat time. Carolyn King was born in 1965. She and her partner in crime, uh, Mr. Bradley Martin, who is a young white man, uh, had two victims. And we'd like to say rest in power to Guy Goodman, who was a 74-year-old white man. He was previously married. He was a father, a veteran, a retired florist, and I believe a gay man, part of the LGBTQ community, which um, it, it was a different time in, in the 90s. And I only say that because I don't, I don't know if we used the abbreviation LGBTQ in 1993. And then uh, there's also Donna Mae Martz, who was a 59-year-old white female, uh, and she was a widow and a mother of three, and she uh, was also survived by a sister. The duo... um, cross-country spree uh, began on September 15th, 1993 to October 3rd, 1993, and consisted of robbery and murder via suffocation and shooting with a gun. Remember that in Wayne's World? I don't even own a gun. (laughs) What would I do with a gun rack? (laughs) Am I the only one? 1993! Actually, I think that's when Wayne World came out! I think it was way before then. I think it was in the 80s. No, Ma'am, in the 80s, I was in my dad's nutsack. I distinctly... Well, it was still on, but... Oh, you're right. It's 1992. Okay. You're I right. was, I was wrong. Okay. But, uh, okay. I just... It, it was a skit on Saturday Night Live oh, okay, for a that long time, and then it became a movie. So I, I, I must have been thinking of the skit on Saturday okay. Night Live. 
Okay, fair enough. You win this round, Beth. Carry <laughs> no, on. I didn't. I totally <laughs> lost. <laughs> Shwing. Um, <laughs> the crimes took place in Palmyra, Pennsylvania, as well as Bismarck, North Dakota, and uh, Elko, Nevada. Martin and King were arrested on October 5th, 1993. And on November 30th, 1994, the pair received the death penalty. Uh, King was 34 at, uh, at the time and Martin was 27. So grrr, she was a cougar. Both, <laughs> both, are still, both are still alive, I believe, serving life prison sentences because uh, yes, that's uh, true. We, we the bye-bye death penalty so um now we're going to get into the setting take us there beth carolyn king was born in manassas virginia in northern virginia about 25 miles or 40 minutes away from washington dc the history of virginia and washington dc is deep and long but real quick the area is on the potawomac indian land and they lived there for thousands of years before europeans ever set foot there yep just minding their gut damn business. Uh, and, uh, Virginia was England's first colony and one of the 13 colonies in the American Revolution. A couple interesting facts about the city of Manassas. In July 1861, the first battle of Manassas was the first major land battle of the American Civil War. Wow, interesting. Mm-hmm. Manassas is part of the Washington metro area. The large area of Washington, D.C. is almost 50% black and some something like 45% white. Maybe you've heard of it. It's been in the news lately. <laughs> what? Washington, D.C.? Yeah, <laughs> it's the capital city of the United States. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> and it could not be more different from where King's counterpart grew up, uh, Bradley Martin. That's right. It was interesting to look into the city of Manassas specifically. And I was looking into online forums and the ways people used to describe the city you know, coded language. Right, uh, right. Uh, basically imply that it's not white and uh, there's poverty. Uh, again, using coded language, like referring to the city as ghetto. Uh, the schools are bad. Students have low SAT scores. Uh, but the city of Manassas has a popu- population as of 2010 of 37,000. And uh, but again, it's part of, uh, part of the larger D.C. metro area. And the population of Manassas was uh, at the time, 2010, 65% white almost 16% black and 6% Asian, 16% other. And then there's a different breakdown for, uh, and I don't know why y'all do this because I think it's trash, but I'm just Wendy. <laughs> they break down uh, Hispanic white and not Hispanic white. And as yeah. I said before, Hispanic just uh, it refers to um, literally um, people who uh, have ancestry from Spain or of right. Spain. Right. Yeah. Or Spanish-speaking countries. Yes. The first crime that the couple committed took place in Palmyra, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Hershey, Pennsylvania, and is about three hours northeast of Manassas. So it's really not that far away. It's a small town of about 7,500 people, and murder is a relatively rare crime there. Mm. Palmyra land was originally home to the Lenape and Susquehannock tribes. Uh, The European explorers and traders came to the region about 1650, being part of William Penn's colony. His charge 
charter providing civil rights and religious freedom attracted many settlers to the era or area. If you don't know, now you know. William Penn was a writer and early member of the Quakers and a founder of the colony of the province of Pennsylvania. He was an early advocate of democracy and religious freedom and was notable for his good relations and successful treaties with the Lenape Native Americans. Penn's land purchase from the Lenape included the Lenape's retained right to traverse the lands for purposes of hunting, fishing, and gathering. To attract settlers in large numbers, he promised religious freedom as well as material advantage, which he marketed throughout Europe in various languages. He attracted rich London Quakers to the colony as well as other persecuted minorities, including Haguenots. Huguenots. Huguenots. <laughs> wow, never seen that on paper. <laughs> I only know that because uh, where I lived, there was a lot of Huguenots in New York. Shut up. Wow. Okay. <laughs> At one time, there was. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I uh, am familiar with Mennonites. There's a lot of Mennonites in Belize. There's a Mennonite community. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know why, but my mom was like, she was always like, ah, can you go down and buy such and such from the Mennonites? Uh Anyway, I don't remember what she told me to go and get, but I'm familiar with the word. Anyway, Amish, Catholics, Lutherans, and Jews from England, Holland, Germany, Sweden, Finland, Ireland, and Wales. There have been claims that uh, William Penn also fought slavery, but he owned and even traded slaves himself, and his writings do not support that. However, he did promote good treatment for slaves, so yay. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's an ouch. I don't know where you saw that source, but damn that source. <laughs> Treatment of slaves. There was a time a while back where, um, who was the Fox News guy? The no spin zone. Bill Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. What, yeah, what a when, douchebag. Yes, Michelle Obama said something about, oh my God, I can't believe that me and my black husband and my black family live in this white house that was built by slaves. And Bill O'Reilly's ridiculous he ass loses goddamn goes, mind. goes on TV and says, well, actually, and when a white man says, well, actually, I just, I have this visceral white, reaction white yes, where I want to strangle them. And he says, well, actually, slaves who uh, worked at the White House worked, he said, like they were employees with yeah, 401 fucking right. Ks were treated very nicely. He had to retract the statement the next day. But oh, that yeah. is, um, I mean, again, I've said this before. If people understood the horrors of what has been done on this soil to indigenous populations and to black people is just horrifying. I gotta share this terrible story just so you, just to drive the point home. I'm very sorry. Okay. Uh, slave blocks. They would have um, enslaved people stand there in the nude and women had to be completely nude and men who were potential bios could come up and touched their body because yeah. right the women had to be able to reproduce um other baby slaves right or enslaved people and so can you just imagine standing butt naked in front of a bunch of people a bunch um, of old white dudes cha chained together with other people who may or may not be family members or strangers um and just uh, horrible. That. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, sorry to cut you off. Uh, they were <laughs> that he promoted good treatment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
But other Pennsylvania Quakers were more outspoken and proactive, being among the earliest fighters against slavery in America. The first settlers to live near Palmyra came from two distinct nationalities, Scotch-Irish and German. The Germans were known as Pennsylvania Dutch, and they had numerous religious affiliations, the largest number being Lutheran or German Reformed, but also Anabaptist, including Mennonites and Amish. The Anabaptist religions promoted a simple lifestyle, and their adherents were known as plain people or plain Dutch. Anabaptists view themselves as primarily citizens of the kingdom of God, not of earthly governments. They seek to pattern their life after Jesus and have become known as one of the historic peace churches because of their commitment to pacifism. Just got to say how that mirrors to me the beliefs and uh, land owning uh, principles of many indigenous communities. Yeah, yeah. Except they weren't allowed to mind their business. Right. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. The avoidance (laughs) of technologies by Old Order Mennonites and Old Order Amish is based not on a belief that technology is evil. It's more that they are concerned about how technologies affect their communities. Community is important to Mennonites and Amish, and a technology or practice is rejected if they feel it would adversely affect it. They also practice plainness, including plain dress, the opposite of showiness in clothing, but also in physical appearance. Until the late 19th century, most Mennonites in North America lived in farming communities. They retained their German language partly to insulate themselves against the outside world. Their main concern was to be allowed to worship God according to their conscience and their pacifist tradition. They got to keep their language too? Yep. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Is anybody else seeing the parallels here that don't exist because they are of European descent? Wow. Okay. I am not knocking Mennonites. I'm just saying it seems quite unfair to me. According to the Mennonite USA website, Mennonites hold a strong belief in peace, justice, and non-resistance, which sometimes gets them into trouble. In 1783, Mennonites in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, were accused of treason for feeding destitute British soldiers during the American Revolution. And the Mennonites' refusal to serve the military led to hardships during World War I, but many were legally able to avoid service via conscientious objector status during World War II. Mennonites say violence is is, quote, not the will of God, unquote. And violence includes war, hostility among races and classes, child abuse, abuse of women, any violence between man and woman, abortion, and capital punishment. I don't know if anyone listening has read the Bible. There's a lot of violence in there. Uh, <laughs> While while Mennonites and the Amish come from the same Anabaptist roots that began in the 16th century, the I feel like it sounds I hope people don't think that I am knocking the Amish tradition. I am not religious shaming anyone. I'm just um, pointing out observations. observations. Yes. And also, would an Amish person listen to a podcast? I don't know about an Amish person, but maybe a Mennonite. Okay. Thank you, Beth. I don't know what I would do without you. The, from the same 
Anabaptist roots that began in the 16th century. The Amish splintered off to become a separate group, and they agree on many beliefs, but the Amish follow a stricter doctrine. Because Mennonites are sometimes confused with Amish, many believe that Mennonites still adhere to strict dress code like the Amish, but it really depends on the specific Mennonite church. Many modern Mennonite churches do not have any dress codes. Other rules on lifestyle also vary depending on the church. There are some conservative sects of Mennonites that dress in a way to encourage modesty and separation from society, but there are about 40 different Mennonite groups in the United States, and most contemporary Mennonites are not outwardly that different from any other person you might meet on the street. Mennonites do believe in simple living, but most express that in simplicity and a spirit of stewardship and awareness of the needs of others, rather than completely separating from society as the Amish do. Palmyra is approximately 93% white, a whopping 93. <laughs> That's a lot of snow and 1% black. Uh, there's, there's a fly in my milk. <laughs> it looks like Mike Pence's hair with the fly yeah. on it. <laughs> Way to go, Palmyra. Uh, there, there are less than 1% Native Americans still in the area, which shame on you, United States. Uh, the rest are mostly Latinx, Asian, or mixed race. So very, 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 very white. Yes. Uh, now we're going to get into the early lives of Carolyn King and Bradley Martin. What do you got, Beth? As we mentioned, Carolyn King was born in 1965 in Manassas, Virginia, and was raised by her grandparents. She had a very troubled childhood, and there was a lot of alcoholism and drug abuse in the family. So far away. Doesn't anybody stay in one place anymore? <laughs> Researching this uh, episode, I had to struggle not to go over to Spotify and listen to Carol King uh, <laughs> because the names are so similar, uh, except Carol King is uh not a murderer. Carolyn <laughs> later reported that as a child, she was the victim of sexual abuse at the hands of a white man who was a family friend or relative. Uh, as a young woman, Carolyn married twice and had four children. Both marriages featured domestic violence, and Carolyn reportedly suffered from depression and drug abuse. Bradley Martin, who is white, was born in 1972 in the Mennonite community of Lebanon. He was molested by an uncle between the ages of 13 and 15. This resulted in a personality change. He became angry, resentful, irritable, and hostile. He told no one about the abuse and turned to drugs as a way to cope. Yeah, um, I'll get into it in my takeaways. I was going to talk about the ACE score. Right. Um, uh, what is that? Uh, I don't know what it stands for, but if your child is fucked up, you might not turn out so great. Uh, his family uh, was at their wit's end, committed uh, Bradley to an inpatient rehab program called the Straight Program in Springfield, Virginia. Uh, Straight Incorporated was a controversial program that existed from 1976 to 1993. They held clients ranging in age from 12 to 21 in warehouses, out of communication with family and friends, and the youngest documented detainee was aged 11. That's fucked up. Yeah, very much so. Straight Incorporated claimed to rehabilitate teenage drug users by using tough love and Alcoholics Anonymous principles. But the quote unquote treatment model relied exclusively on positive peer pressure from unprofessional staff who were program graduates and from the teenage clients. So that's also fucked up. 
Yeah, I um, yeah, it's uh, it's really uh, abusive. Yes, uh, they provided no actual professional counseling. Instead, they held quote unquote group rap sessions featuring confrontations and confessions that sometimes went on for as long as twelve hours. Some of these rap sessions featured threatening and profane verbal abuse, face spitting, and restraints. According to some former graduates, Straight Incorporated used coercive thought reform, also known as mind control or brainwashing. Mm. Public humiliation, sleep and food deprivation, extremely harsh confrontational tactics, kidnapping, isolation, and emotional, mental, psychological, verbal, and physical abuse to forcibly break down, then remold the children. Straits' rules and their fear of harsh punishment prevented them from talking to outsiders or from reporting the abuses. This is really um, disgusting Uh, and the opposite of what somebody who needs help and support dealing with um, a substance use issue needs. Yeah, and some of them didn't even have substance abuse issues. Mm. They just, their parents were afraid they were going to. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. It was fucked up. That's obscene. Oh my gosh. CPS? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that I I oh my gosh. Um but you know what? Think about it. In the 90s, this is like mm, crack epidemic time. Right. Everybody's like dare just say yeah. no. You're on drugs. Yeah. Number one uh number one problem in America is drug abuse. The guy with the big nose said Nixon, I think. And uh so Americans are like, what do we do? So I I guess I understand the fear. It was kind of the wild west of rehab back then. <laughs> yeah, I think people didn't know what to do. There were yeah. there probably were a lot of well-meaning people in the recovery space, right? But uh, they or, just didn't know what what they were doing. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, The organization operated 43 centers across the United States with locations in California, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Hampshire, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Texas, Virginia, and Washington. Wow, that was impressive. Thank you. (laughs) The program was praised by prominent figures such as U.S. President George H.W. Bush, former First Lady Nancy Reagan, and even Princess Diana. But it was also subject to multiple accusations of abusive practices. Yeah, uh, which were warranted. Uh, Totally sounds like. Yeah. Uh, Straight Inc. claimed to have an astronomically high success rate and was supported by both the Reagan and Bush administrations, but it operated in secrecy and no outsiders were permitted to see what was really going on. So I just wanted to welcome everybody to uh, Culture Corner. And I only bring this up. I'm just going to be real authentic with everybody. I myself am on like a recovery journey. And so I don't want to I'm not trying to project but the addiction recovery industrial complex has been problematic since its inception in the 1960s. And while there may be progress and improvements over the decades, Straight Inc. was not the first shady ass uh, and abusive recovery center. And sadly, it will not be the last. Yeah. And I wanted to shout out um, 
to reveal one of my favorite podcasts. They did a podcast series called American Rehab that uncovered abuses of rehab that ran on punishment and profits over people entirely. And same story, abuse, these um, circles where people yell at each other, hurl insults in in an attempt to break the person down and then build them back up. Um, And to this day, um, the same rehab model sort of flourishes uh, and unsuspecting family members and friends um, will send, you know, loved ones to these spaces seeking help. And uh, again, it's people who are desperate for treatment or family members who are desperate to get their um, loved ones helped. Um, But they use the residents and the people seeking treatment as sort of an unpaid labor force. And it's like modern day slavery with, but you're trying to get like help for your problem and they're not yeah. really giving it to you. Um, and then side note, something I've learned about recovery uh, centers like rehab centers is that they are discriminatory against trans folks. Oh. I had no idea. Oh, um, and yeah. And I, I um, my understanding is uh, addiction is um, something that uh, the LGBTQ and trans community um suffer with um and uh the resources for help are lacking uh and uh rehab let's face it is typically more accessible if you're straight cis white and more affluent than other people and the others yeah uh get uh punitive uh treatment um so that sucks shut up now (laughs) (laughs) so uh back to bradley martin his uncle was eventually convicted for the molestations and martin's mother bonnie martin said that uh, the sexual abuse devastated bradley's self-image and destroyed his ability to trust those in authority Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Hi, 
So now we are going to dive into the timeline. Uh, Martin, at 22 years old, was serving a 23-month sentence at the Lemadon County Correctional Facility as the result of a parole violation. Uh, he was on a work release program, and as part of the program, he was also allowed passes to visit family and friends and conjugal visits with his girlfriend, Carolyn King, who was 28. Again, growl. <laughs> Martin and King met at the factory where they both worked and where Martin was released to as part of his work release program. We don't know how King found herself in Pennsylvania, but at the time she was facing charges in Virginia for stealing money from elderly men in her care, and she was also a suspect in two murders. King had a long criminal history, including theft and check forgery, so uh, she may have gone there to hide out. We don't really know. Mm, yeah, I wish we did, though. Yeah. Don't you? Yes, I do. I wish we knew uh, more. Yeah. Uh, yes. On September 15th, 1993, Martin got a two-hour visitation pass to see King. He then left the prison and never returned. Martin and King spent a couple of nights in a motel near the prison. Then they traveled to Palmyra, Pennsylvania to see Guy Goodman. Mr. Goodman, who was 74 years old, was an acquaintance of Martin's. He had written, telephoned, and visited Martin in prison, identifying himself as Martin's friend. A World War II veteran, Guy Goodman owned a grocery store in the 50s and then later became a florist. Guy had been married for a time and had a son and daughter, but later in life, he came out as gay. After he retired, he did a lot of volunteer work, even in other countries, and he collected antiques from his world travels. Uh, he was well-known and liked in his community, and Guy Goodman was last seen on September 17th, 1993. According to a court document, Martin and King went to Guy Goodman's house, and when Martin asked Goodman for money, Goodman responded that he would give Martin money in exchange for sex. I don't know how they would know this except from Martin and King, so we don't know if it's true. Mm. In the TV show Wicked Attraction, they said that rather than give him money, Guy tried to convince Martin to turn himself back in. But in any case, soon after Martin and King got to Guy's home, Martin became angry and hit Guy over the head with one of Guy's antique vases. Do you say vase or vase? Vase. Oh, <laughs> I did too. I'm just trying to sound fancy. A vase <laughs> from the hallway. The two then bound Goodman's wrist, ankles, and neck, basically hog tying him. Mm. They wrapped a bathrobe around the man's head, placed a plastic bag over that, sealed the bag with duct tape, and wrapped a bedspread over the bag. Finally, they dragged Guy to the basement, leaving him there to suffocate. He died slowly, gasping for his last breath. Ooh. That is a horrifying uh, way yeah. to go. Afterward, they had several brief visits with friends in Pennsylvania. Like, nothing happened. Like, uh, hello. Hey, <laughs> what's up, girl? Just in town for a few, for a few days. Uh, after the, Then the couple fled across the country in Goodman's car, using his checks and a credit card to pay for their expenses. A Palmyra police officer discovered the body on September 25th, 1993, when neighbors became concerned that they hadn't seen Guy in a while and contacted police. When the policeman entered the home, he saw that an obvious struggle had taken place. There was the broken vase, a pool of blood, and some blood splatter. Guy's glasses were lying on the floor. I don't know what it is about the words blood splatter, but you like I just, it. 
<laughs> like it. Uh, and I'm a six fuck. So sorry. A trail of blood led to a utility room in the basement. Guy's body was found covered with the bedspread, plastic and robe. He had been bound with phone cords taken from the kitchen and he had been gagged. Guy Goodman had cuts on his head, but he died of asphyxiation. He had been severely beaten and his face was unrecognizable. Police suspected that someone younger had committed the crime because Guy had been dragged to the basement, which would have required someone with some strength. There were also three used cups at the crime scene, suggesting three people had been there, Guy and two others. Police also found fingerprints on a roll of duct tape. The fingerprints were later matched to Martin. Guy's house had been ransacked and a credit card and some checks were missing. The checks had been taken from the middle of the box. Do y'all remember those things called checks? They're papers and you get them from your bank and nobody uses them anymore. Yeah, they come in a box. Uh, And they took the checks from the middle rather than from on the top as an attempt to disguise the fact that they had been stolen. Pretty smart. Yeah, I'll say. There were no signs of forced entry, suggesting that Guy had known the perpetrators and his car was also missing. Bradley Martin became a suspect when it was realized that Guy had befriended him and that he was missing from prison. Martin was also a confidential informant and an officer remembered him talking about an elderly man in Palmyra who would give him money if he ever needed to get out of town. Prison records showed that Guy had visited Martin in prison and had spoken to him on the phone. And another inmate told police that Martin had talked about stealing Goodman's antiques. Okay, so that is very, very stupid. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty dumb. Uh, Yeah. uh, Concerned about the safety of Carolyn King. Oh, no. Police went to her apartment to look for her, but she was gone. Police felt an urgency to find Martin to determine what had happened to Carolyn King. Police were able to trace Martin and King's travels as a stolen credit card was being used and Goodman's account was flagged. Purchases made after Goodman's death were made in West Virginia, Ohio, Iowa, Kansas, then north to Rapid City, South Dakota. Martin and King, which sounds like a band used his credit <laughs> they're on tour oh, they are. <laughs> coming next uh the martin and king show <laughs> this show sucks man <laughs> it does oh it's devastating devastating consequences if you attend uh martin and king used his credit card and his checks 33 times over the next week but police were always a few steps behind because in 1993 transactions were only recorded two or three days after the purchase. When police traced the couple to a motel in Rapid City, South Dakota, Pennsylvania police flew out to investigate. A motel clerk confirmed that Martin and King stayed at the hotel in Rapid City. When they checked out, the clerk called the credit card company and ceased use of the card because they found Martin and King suspicious. And that's all I have. I don't know exactly what they did. But uh, this clerk did not think that they were legit, so called the credit card company and ceased use of it. All right. I'm going to let you in on another culture corner here. This is the 90s, right? They are in South South Dakota. Dakota. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know where that is on the map, but I do not believe it is a stop on the Great Migration. And I do not believe that they have a large black population. Yeah, I think that's probably correct. Yeah. I would think that seeing an interracial couple or a black person of any kind in South Dakota at that point, if this was a small town, might have been odd to anyone. And here's another thing. When a black person goes to purchase something and uses a credit card, I don't know what it is, but uh, the white lady in front of you can just swipe, write checks, 
and leave. But when your black ass comes to the counter, they need blood type, identification, <laughs> mother's maiden name, <laughs> to confirm that you are not a criminal. Uh, and so I think that it what was suspicious was the fact that there was a black person. Uh, Possibly. Trying yeah. to buy things. That's my thought. Um, but you know what? Maybe I'm just on high alert because I've been a black person in America for <laughs> over 30 years. Uh, uh, anyway, other clerks where purchases were made were interviewed, confirming police suspicions that Martin and King were working together and both were using the credit card at times. After the credit card no longer worked, Martin and King began using Guy's checks, but they were having trouble getting businesses to accept the out-of-state checks, and they needed a new source of cash. Guy's checks were traced back to Bismarck, North Dakota now, when Martin and King used a check to pay for a room at the Fairfield Inn in Bismarck. Lebanon police hit the road and headed to Bismarck. On the way, they called Bismarck police to let them know what was going on. But Bismarck police were busy with their own investigation at the time, that of a woman who had gone missing. As it turned out, the woman had been staying at the same Fairfield Inn in Bismarck where Martin and King had stayed. Oh, Santa Maria. 59-year-old Donna Martz was a traveling tour guide for an interstate bus line who had just finished a bus tour of the northern Midwest and Canada. Sounds lovely, but no thank you. She was a widow, mother of three, and grandmother of 11. Uh, She was described as petite, fun, and full of life. Donna was staying at the Fairfield Inn in Bismarck. She was scheduled to check out of the motel and drive home to Rock Lake, North Dakota, a tiny town just south of the Canadian border. But she never came home and her car was missing. It was feared that she had been abducted. The two separate cases converged. I love it when a when a crime comes together. Uh <laughs> Another one of Guy's checks had been used at a local convenience store, and surveillance tape showed that Donna was at the convenience store at the same time as Martin and King, and Guy Goodman's car was found abandoned in a vacant lot in Mandan, North Dakota, outside of Bismarck. An APB was put out for Martz's Chrysler New Yorker. The FBI joined the case and set up a task force. When Pennsylvania detectives arrived, they also joined the task force. When Donna's credit card began showing charges, the FBI dispatched teams to interview the clerks in the stores where the charges were made. They could not identify Martin and King, but they said Donna Martz did not make the purchases. So now we're going to get into the investigation and arrest. Hit it, Beth. Although, of course, the police and the FBI wanted to catch Martin and King, finding Donna alive was the top priority. A withdrawal from Donna's credit card was made at a Shelby, Montana ATM. Surveillance tapes showed it was Bradley Martin using the credit card, confirming that Martz was not the one using the card. But again, the police were always one step behind because of the delay in when the transaction showed up. Uh, So authorities asked for help from Donna's credit card company. They wanted to know what charges were being made in real time, but this could not be done in 1993. It's so... Uh, interesting to think back to that time. <laughs> yeah, no, those are the days, man, when you could uh, write a check on Wednesday for groceries. You're going to get paid on Friday, so you would float it for a couple of days. Yeah, Woo! those were the days, man. <laughs> those were the days, right? And think of all the like hijinks type of movies. Like I always think of Home Alone. Like if he just had a cell phone to call his parents <laughs> when they left None him of that there, shit would have happened. In the 90s, <laughs> 
Yeah, Joe Pesci would still be around. No, I'm just kidding. He would be, uh, you know, Macaulay Culkin would have been fine. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. An ex-FBI agent was working at the credit card company at the time, and he contacted the systems programmers and explained what was going on. And they figured out a way to do it, although Ooh. it was going to take some time to write the program. So uh, I think they said it was like a 24 hours. They had to wait. Uh, before they could use it. Yeah. Uh, In the meantime, law enforcement agencies were notified uh, and Martin and King were entered as kidnapping suspects into the National Crime Information Center or NCIC, which is the U.S. central database for tracking crime related information. Descriptions of the suspects and Donna Martz were faxed to agency along likely routes. Back home in Pennsylvania, acquaintances of Martin and King were interviewed for any recent contact, but nobody reported having heard from them. Then the credit card systems people came through. (laughs) (laughs) The first transaction reported in real time, well, real time, quote unquote, for the 90s, within an hour or two of purchases, was at a service station for a gas transaction in Southern California in Los Angeles. Authorities in the area were notified. A second hit was a transaction at a hotel in National City outside of San Diego. The FBI San Diego field office was notified and agents were dispatched. They found that Martin and King had stayed at the hotel but had just checked out a couple of hours prior using the credit card. Boo. Rats. Yeah. Uh, we're on them though. We're, we're gonna get them. We're gonna get them. Uh, police believe that the couple was headed to Mexico, right? That's where one would go if yeah. you committed several crimes. Right. Uh, and they, they put out another APB at the border of Mexico at Tijuana. But then Pennsylvania detectives heard from an acquaintance of Martin's. The acquaintance had received a phone call from Martin who said he was in San Diego, but they were headed back towards Pennsylvania, which... Yeah, don't really know why they wanted to do that. But anyway, Highway Patrol was notified, but the couple still had a two-hour lead. One officer estimated where the couple would be heading, and he thought they would take Interstate 8 through El Centro. So an APB was put out to El Centro. I think he told the acquaintance he was going back to Pennsylvania to throw the authorities off, right? But you still shouldn't have made contact at all, right? Yeah, I don't know. It sounded like, uh, I mean, he was heading east. Okay, so he's heading back to Pennsylvania. All right. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. That was another interesting thing. When you look at this map of the United States of America, they're in Pens. They start in Pennsylvania and then they do the Dakotas and then they do Montana. Yeah. Montana. And then, and then Nevada, California. It, it, it just seemed like they really had no clue where they were going. Yeah. They were just driving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they had a good soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> Highway patrolman Richard Chambers was going west on I-8 when he spotted a car going east that looked like the car everyone was looking for. So he turned around and overtook the vehicle. He read the license plate and confirmed that it was the car King was driving. 
There was no backup available, but Officer Chambers continued pursuit. Martin and King then turned off onto State Route 186, and the officer followed. The chase intensified as the suspects tried to shake him, but he maintained pursuit, sometimes going as high as 90 miles per hour. Ooh, my adrenaline is pumping. (laughs) They crossed into Arizona, and Officer Chambers continued pursuing while relaying information to the AZ police. Yuma police officers raced to cover Officer Chambers, but he was on his own and under fire as Martin pointed a gun out of the passenger's side window at him. Come through, Hollywood. (laughs) This is like that Mr. and Mrs. Smith scene. Yeah. Woo! The car then exited onto a smaller road with intersections, heading into Yuma. The couple ran two stop signs, but at the third intersection, they ran out of luck. They got into an accident, and they jumped out of the car and began to flee on foot. Officer Chambers ordered them to stop or he would shoot. And uh, they stopped. (laughs) (laughs) The interesting thing about Yuma is it's literally like you could reach your hand out and touch Mexico. It's just right yeah, there. Right, right there. Out. Yeah. I mean, if they had pretty close. Ooh, maybe had their like Nikes on that day <laughs> or their new balances, this could have been a different story. Yeah. Chambers only had one pair of handcuffs, so he handcuffed King and then held on to Martin until Yuma police arrived. Martin had Goodman's credit card on his person, and Goodman's blank checks and social security card were found inside the vehicle, along with a 357 caliber revolver. Isn't that interesting that they have the social security card because yeah. who keeps like, things in their wallets <laughs> these days uh anyway the trunk of the car was open and they found a roll of duct tape a knife and donna's glasses but donna martz was not there martin and king were arrested by the fbi for interstate flight to avoid prosecution the couple refused to tell officers what happened to donna martz king was described as defiant and refusing to even admit her identity Hmm. Who used those descriptors? Was it the white police officer? (laughs) Uh, One FBI agent noticed that Martin was in pain, so he offered to cuff him in the front rather than behind his back. Look at look at them showing this guy like extra TLC, Uh, Mr. Mr. uh, My Ivory. Uh, Bradley Martin, uh, this small act of kindness opened the floodgates and Martin agreed to talk to him. Is she OK? The officer asked. No, Martin said. I killed her. During further questioning, the pair confessed to Donna Martz's murder. Martin and King had forced Donna into the trunk of her own car and then began to drive. They kept her for a week letting her out of the trunk occasionally to go to the bathroom and to eat. Mm. They told her they would eventually let her go, but what a nightmare, poor lady. Yeah. Um, in one of the movies, one of the documentaries about this, uh-huh. they said she was stabbed. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like just a little, a little stab. Yeah. 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 When they when they first grabbed her. When they first accosted her. Okay. Yeah. Okay. On October 3rd, the couple went shopping in Elko, Nevada. When they came back to the car, Donna was making noise and trying to get out of the trunk. This apparently enraged Martin, and they decided they needed to get rid of her. Martin and King then drove out to Osina, Nevada, where they forced Donna out of the trunk, made her take her clothes off, and forced her to lie down in a ditch. Martin then shot her in the head with a three fifty seven 
killing her. Martin said that she told him before she died that she was ready to die and to tell her family that she loved them. I uh, got to this part in the story and I am really looking forward to a Lifetime movie or some sort of screenplay where this this is so intense. Yeah. And I, it's hard to believe that it's real life. Yeah. Um, but it is. The FBI and Martin uh, draw a map showing approximately where Donna's body could be found. Police searched the area, but since Martin had been doing drugs <laughs> during the crime spree, his map was inaccurate. So they did an aerial observation near Osino, which they concluded was the probable dumping site based on the information given by King and Martin. They showed the photos to Martin and King, and the couple pointed out where Donna's body should be. And then Donna Martz's nude, lifeless body was finally found partially hidden amongst the sagebrush about a mile and a half off Interstate 80. King tried to blame Martin, saying that she went along with what he wanted to do because she was afraid of him and that she was forced into participating. But officers described her as devious and conniving, and they believed that she was actually the brains of the operation. They thought, you know, she's older than Martin, and they believed that Martin was enamored of her and fascinated with her, and that he would have done anything she asked him to do. One officer observed that when Martin was eventually taken back to Pennsylvania, that he seemed frightened. Now, I got the impression that he, he was not the brightest bulb, but I, I don't really know. I Yeah, I got that too. He, he was younger, but I also think that it's easier. Let's face it. Also, all of these police officers were white men yeah. and that it's easier for them to have sympathy for a white perpetrator a white man, yeah. because yeah, he kind of reminds he he could he could be me or he could be somebody I know. So right. we don't need to you know the, it's harder to um, be hyper critical or even see him as an evil being. Easier to blame her. Easier to blame her, which is why they put his handcuffs in in the front uh, and were obviously more seemed more kind uh, to him. And notice that he was frightened like uh which is a human emotion and yeah. the um ways they describe ms king conniving uh evil what else right. did they say? she was devious, devious. Uh, yeah she was a beast you know which you know i don't i don't know enough about either one of them to know what unfortunately we we just didn't learn enough about them like we didn't hear enough from their families to to get an idea of what their personalities were like she may have been devious i don't know <laughs> but, you know what yeah. you're right we yeah. don't know but I like to assume, so <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, King claimed when Guy Goodman was killed, she had been in another room when she heard kissing, then a crash. When she came into the room, she saw that Martin had hit Goodman with a vase. She painted herself as an innocent victim caught in circumstance, but her fingerprints were found on the duct tape that had wrapped Guy Goodman's head. So she had at least participated. And at some stores where the couple had used credit cards and checks, she had come in alone and, you know, used them by herself. So she she she, she was involved. She was yeah. involved. For sure. yeah. yeah. So now uh, we're going to get into the trial. So Martin and King were charged with Goodman's murder and extradited to Pennsylvania, which then proceeded to a joint 
trial. Prior to trial, both defendants filed motions for severance to be, to be separated, which the court denied. Martin also filed a motion to suppress his incriminating statement to detectives, asserting that he had been under the influence of drugs <laughs> at the time he gave the statement. And that motion was also denied. A package plea offer was made to Martin and King on February 7th, 1994. The deal required both Martin and King to plead guilty in order to receive a life sentence. King refused to plead guilty, so their joint trial began on September 30th, 1994. Uh, Martin chose not to testify at trial, but King testified on her own behalf, and a tape-recorded incriminating statement was played for the jury. Uh Uh-oh. On October 14th, 1994, the jury found both defendants guilty of first-degree murder, aggravated assault, robbery, theft by unlawful taking, flight to avoid apprehension, escape and conspiracy. The trial then proceeded to the penalty phase during which two aggravating circumstances were presented with respect to both defendants. Perpetration of the homicide during the commission of a felony and commission of the offense by means of torture. It does sound appropriate. Yeah. Uh, Martin and King both presented evidence in support of mitigating circumstances. Martin presented evidence that he suffered from chronic post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and depression from the sexual abuse by his uncle, and that he had sustained physical and emotional abuse while institutionalized for drug and alcohol treatment at the Straight Treatment Center. King presented evidence in support of the mitigating circumstance that her participation in the murder was relatively minor, which never helps. (laughs) At the conclusion of the penalty phase, the jury found that all the aggravating circumstances presented with respect to each defendant had been established and found no mitigating circumstances for either defendant. They were Mm. both sentenced to death by lethal injection. Mm. To first-degree murder in the death of Donna Martz, both Martin and King pleaded guilty and were sentenced to life in prison in Nevada, which was to run consecutively to their sentencing in Guy Goodman's murder. Of course, both Martin and King appealed their death sentences. Martin claimed on appeal that Goodman's sexual advance triggered a post-traumatic stress disorder flashback of sexual abuse he suffered as a child, making him incapable of, quote, cool reflection. Unquote. Psychiatrist Julie Kessel, who testified that the rage Martin experienced in response to the victim's sexual advance, stemmed from his PTSD. However, she also stated that after the assault, his rage changed into a desire to tie Goodman up and steal his money, so he was able to cool off to some degree. Uh, she also made reference to a personality disorder. And that's the only place I saw that. I don't know what the personality disorder is. I, I'm assuming it's antisocial social personality disorder, but I don't really know. I saw those two words and thought maybe it was borderline personality disorder. It's possible. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? After years of appeals, the state Supreme Court denied them a new trial, but ordered new sentencing hearings for both of them. More than 20 years after the initial trial, a ruling was made that the plea agreement offer
referred to Martin before his 1994 trial, violated Martin's due process rights because it impermissibly conditioned Martin's ability to accept the agreement for a sentence of life imprisonment without exposure to the death penalty upon a factor or factors outside of Martin's control. So basically because uh, in the plea deal, they both had to plead guilty for it to take place. Martin uh, was not able to use it because it was outside of his control because King refused to plead guilty. Okay. Okay. Well, on January 26th, 2016, Martin was resentenced to life in prison without parole. That set the stage for King's resentencing, and uh, the district attorney decided not to fight what he considered to be the inevitable conclusion of the case, and King was also resentenced to life in prison. Judy Goodman, Guy Goodman's daughter, sat and listened as King was resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She heard no explanation from King, who took part in the hearing by way of a video hookup from the State Correctional Institution at Muncie in Lycoming County. She says, quote, I wish she would have made a comment, end quote, uh, Judy said afterwards. She said she hoped King, then 49 years old, would have said why her father was killed. Quote, we'll never know why, end quote, she said. During this time at the Lebanon Daily News, reporter Les Stewart covered everything court-related. Quote, when I was working at the paper, there were only two cases where defendants were sentenced to die, he said. Part of King's defense was that she was afraid of Martin, but I still think she was the brains behind it, unquote. Hmm. Okay. Entitled to your opinion. We've talked about how the news is racist. (laughs) Numerous times throughout the recording of this program. So, uh... All right. Now we're going to get into where <laughs> are they now? <laughs> so uh, uh, Martin and King, I just love talking about true crime. That's why I'm laughing. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Martin and King are currently serving lifetime prison sentences. King, uh, she is an inmate at a Pennsylvania state prison in Muncie. And Martin is an inmate at the Pennsylvania state prison in Camp Hill. On the day of Donna Martz's funeral, the post office in her hometown of Rock Lake flew the flag at half-mast. At the time, Rock Lake had a population of 125, so very small. But Mm. 600 people came to her funeral. Wow, that is amazing. That just, that makes my heart... um... That is so sad that yeah. uh, the circumstances, but really, but, but also uh, what beautiful. a beautiful, yeah. yeah. Um, this case prompted new laws requiring IDs when checking into hotels and real time recordings of credit card transactions. So there's that. Yeah. Um, I was also going to say you can actually, um, which I almost did, <laughs> email Carolyn King using jmail jail mail oh. you just have to pay for it that, oh. that, huh. maybe when we hit the big time baby yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> interesting yeah uh so now we're gonna get into you know our takeaways and what we think made the duo snap what do you got beth well i think obviously the sexual abuse when they were children definitely played a factor in this case yeah. and uh martin's time in the straight program did not help nope I think they were just very angry human beings. And I don't know, like I said, uh, I don't know enough about them to know if one or the other was the instigator 
or mm-hmm. if they just sparked together and egged each other on. Um, that's kind of what I think, but I don't really know. <laughs> okay. Okay. I wish I knew more about King's background. Um, I did find it interesting that Martin was brought up in a Mennonite community and one of their biggest tenets is pacifism. And here he is an extremely violent murderer. Uh, so it's kind of like a big fuck you to his religion. Mm, uh-huh, I see. Mm-hmm. I also wanted mm-hmm. to mention that the interagency cooperation uh, was really on display in this case. Nobody was trying to grandstand. Um, different jurisdictions and the FBI worked together, which I thought was really great. Yeah, normally I call law enforcement messy assholes because yeah. they don't cooperate. And right. I thought about this more and more as we do the show. Like, uh, every, it's because they're men. Their agencies run by men, right? And they and want all the this glory. competition. There's all yeah. this competition, and they want the glory. But on top of that, um, to bring back, sorry if this sounds like a broken record, but the uh, defund the police conversation. The the agency that gets the bad guys gets the most bad guys has the most you know closed mm-hmm. cases gets more funding. So there's right. that. And right. so that's, I guess, prohi- prohibits or gives it's less incentive for them to work, yeah. work yeah. together. But this this was uh, not the case, which is a good thing. Yeah. I agree with you 100 percent, Beth. Yeah. Uh, PTSD. Uh, I agree. Not an excuse, just a possible explanation. I mentioned the ACE score, uh, which has to do with um, adverse childhood experiences and the scales like one to 10 or something like that. And that you're more likely to engage in uh, behaviors to cope and survive that society might be like, hmm, that's a no-no, uh, including doing drugs, <laughs> including doing drugs and like drugs. doing drugs or, uh, you know, uh, committing uh, crimes. Uh, you know, society calls them crimes. I call them, you know, ways to survive. But um, doing those, engaging in those uh, choices because you're, when you're a child, your brain is like, okay, how am I going to have, how do I cope with this trauma? Right. Um, to, to make it through the other day. And so your wi- the wirings get all, you know, um, yeah. discombobulated, right? And so, uh, not, again, uh, not an excuse, just an explanation. And I feel right. really bad for the kids that these two individuals were. Um, and um, that's just really uh, so sad. very unfortunate. Yeah. Yes. Uh, speaking of explanations, I wish King gave us something. Yeah. Uh, I uh, th- there was um, a YouTuber who reached out to her and um, uh, King replied, but oh, wow. said nothing about this case. Yeah. She was just like, what's your favorite color? Hey, like, girl. Hey, girl. Yeah. Like, uh, and so it was just like, but wait a minute. Don't you remember why you're there in the first place? Also, substance abuse is also an issue in King's family and Martin's personal history. So as yeah. I said, doing drugs never leads to great decisions, especially when you need more money to do more drugs. Uh, they both had track records and a history of criminality. And I'm not in law enforcement. So as I said before, when I see a rap sheet, I am just looking at receipts for survival. What position were these people in to lead them to have to make those choices. Um, and that's how I feel about Carolyn King's uh, crimes in particular, because she was she had she was a, a female, a black woman, a history of abuse, um, unsuccessful marriages that involved violence. Um, and another thing that I thought was interesting about the covering of this case from my research and my vantage point was that she was not portrayed as like a sex crazy murderous woman. 
which right. often happens with women of color in yeah. Uh, the true crime story space. Um, although she was credited as the mastermind and devious and conniving, <laughs> you know, like I just the way they describe her is like she has fangs and like you know <laughs> snakes growing out of her hair. <laughs> but when you look at her picture, she doesn't look like that. Um, she looks so, pretty and, normal. Yeah, yeah. I just felt like it was easier for them to use those descriptors because she was a woman of color. Uh, whether it was accurate or not, we well, I don't think don't we really know. Can know. Yeah. Um, also, as I said, they were caught in Yuma, which is a stone's throw from the Mexico border. So imagine if they had just made it across. This would be a very, very different story. And Lifetime, I am waiting. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. So now we are going to get into how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) We did it. We did it. (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips Mm, so i have a few things just off the dome unless beth has something better okay so uh don't let anybody in your home if you are not expecting them yeah um also careful talking to strangers and sharing information about who you are with or not with or you know if you're alone um and also where you're going it's none of their beeswax yeah uh Yeah, uh, Donna was at that hotel alone, just eating her breakfast, minding her goddamn business when she was targeted. Uh, So remember, head on on a swivel. It's an oldie but goodie that we use at the show. Um, In her case, I was thinking if it felt like you were being watched or targeted, I would... uh, ask or reach out to the wait staff or the hotel staff for assistance, either walking to your car or going to your room um, or calling or asking them to contact security for you or even the police for you. If you know, that's your vibe. If you like to call the cops and stuff. Um, I'm just kidding. If you, if you really need (laughs) police assistance, yes, call them. But uh, you know, don't be like Soho Karen. Anyway, uh, if you move about the world solo, practice a few uh, off the dome techniques using uh, metal keys as a weapon right there in the neck. Um, I'm not condoning murder. Just defend yourself with what you got. Uh, having a personal alarm on your keychain. Beth, when you're quiet, I feel like I'm saying something <laughs> wrong. No, no, <laughs> I'm just like these bad tips. Okay, just listening. Okay, having a personal alarm uh, on your keychain, um, carrying mace or a taser are also um, just things that are small. Or bear spray. Bear spray. I still love that one. That yeah. is going on the greatest 
hits <laughs> of generic tips. Yeah. Uh, so now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color, any othered or marginalized uh, groups and or underrepresented groups or any true crime goodies. And I have discovered a true crime goodie. Are you listening? Have you I'm heard listening. of the apology line? I have. Yeah. Woo! I cannot <laughs> get enough. Did I tell you about that? Uh, it is a podcast about this phone line for confessions. And uh, it started in the 80s. And it was an art project by this dude. And he invited anonymous callers to reveal their sins with ethically complex, with some really complex results. Um, there were apologies from people who cheated on their uh, wives. There was a lady who called in, I'm so, I'm sorry, my I'm, I'm very fat and my husband hates it. I mean, I was Aww. like, what the? Oh, there was um, an apology um, that a cop was like, a cop called in and said, I'm sorry to all the Puerto Ricans and blacks. I love uh, beating you till you're black and oh, blue. God. Uh, but I just wanted to say uh, I do a terrible New York accident. He said he was sorry. Uh, there was also somebody who uh, uh, said he killed somebody. And then somebody oh else said gosh. he was going to kill somebody. Wow. There are some really, really dark confessions yeah. on this line. And it is just real. I don't know where it's going. It's on the Wondery <laughs> Network. I can't get enough. It's a really great show. The Apology Line is good. Listen. Okay. So uh, my my shout out is actually a heads up. A uh, new CBS show called Clarice is starting in February. Mm. And it's based on the Clarice Starling character in Silence of the Lambs, which is one of my favorite movies. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping it's good. <laughs> I saw a preview for it. So maybe by the time this airs, this if this episode drops, it will be out. Um, I think it'll be out like maybe a week after that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, but yeah, hope it's good. <laughs> I don't fingers, Please, fingers God, crossed. make it be good. Otherwise, <laughs> then it's your fault. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that recommendation. I think somebody asked, "What? What do you got? What? Do you, I missed the shoutouts." So again, apology line is a podcast, right? And uh, the CBS show Clarice yes. is starting up in February. So those are our shout outs. Beth, can you tell the people where they can find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. Correct. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.
I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. 